such a blessing this morning for us to have so many who have been ill and not feeling well to be able to be back with us. We're glad you're here. We're glad God has blessed you that much. And we're glad to have visitors with us. We've had some folks come and visit with us. And we want you to know we appreciate your being here with us as well. We are studying in the book of Colossians, one of the great prison letters that Paul wrote from the prison in Rome to various places. He wrote one to Ephesus, he wrote one to Philippi, he wrote one to Colossae, and he wrote one to the individual Philemon. As we study through the book of Colossians, we recognize that there was a dominant message to that congregation. In chapter 1 and verse 27, he said that God wanted them to understand the mystery which was Christ in you, the hope of glory. So many times we don't fully appreciate the fact of what it means to say that we are in Christ when we become Christians. But then to say that Christ is in us. Christ needed to be in the congregation at Colossae. Christ needs to be in the congregation at Body Branch. We need to make sure that we elevate Him in our lives personally and as a congregation, as preeminent. That is, He occupies the highest position in our congregation and in our lives. I want to begin with a question. What is your view of Christ? Tonight we will talk about some of the things with regards to whether or not He is the Son of God. But I want to begin by asking, do you view Jesus as merely a man, a man of great teaching, a man of great wisdom? Or do you view Him much higher than that? If you go to the book of Matthew, to chapter 22, verses 41 through 46... Jesus will have a conversation with the Pharisees. He wanted to deal with their mental block, if you will. They were looking for a person who would be a deliverer for them, but only a deliverer in a physical sense. And so Jesus begins by discussing this with them. Verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my footstool, or sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord... How is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare question him anymore. You see, for them, they, did not be, they were not able to grasp the fact that Jesus, the Christ, was the Lord, and that as being Lord, he was superior to and above David. You see, in their conception... Here was David, a great deliverer, a great king. One of his descendants, raised up like him, would sit on David's throne, but in their minds it was only a physical throne. 
What is your view of Christ? Was he merely a man? Did he have just merely good words to offer to us? Is it really important what I believe about Christ? What you believe about Christ? If you read the book of 1 John, John is very concerned with the various views that were being circulated about Christ. He says, beginning with 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. And he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. What John is saying is, if you don't believe that he is the Christ, then what you are doing is calling God a liar. In fact, you become a liar because you have denied what God is saying. Evidently, one of the challenges that the congregation there at Colossae was facing was that of putting Jesus in proper perspective in their minds. Do we need to have that proper view of Christ? Certainly we do. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at three things from Colossians 1, verses 15 through 19. And if you want to open your Bibles there to that passage, that's where we're going to study this morning. We're going to see three things within that passage as he elevates Christ. He's going to talk about Christ being preeminent in his composition, what he's made of. Number two, he's going to talk about Christ being preeminent in creation, that he is the creator of all that you and I see and even what we do not see. And then Christ is preeminent in the church. He is the head of the church, and we must acknowledge that. Let's begin, first of all, by looking at verses 15 and 19 as we prepare this study. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Dropping down to verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. There's some key words in those two verses that ought to come out in our minds and say, what does he mean by saying he is the image of the invisible God? What does he mean when he talks about the fullness in verse 19? Well, let's explore that just a little bit. Jesus reflected the image of the invisible God. Now, when you bring up the word image, the Lord has already used that illustration earlier. Back in Luke chapter 20, verse 34, or 24, he'd been asked, was it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And he responded by saying, show me a Daenerys. Whose image and inscription does it have? And they answered and said, Caesar's. I can illustrate the same thing to you this morning. I have a quarter that was in my pocket. Ask you the question, whose image is on here? And I look, George Washington. 
How do I know that? Because I recognize from other pictures of him. That's George Washington. When you and I start talking about the image of the invisible God is when you see Jesus, you are seeing the very image of that invisible God. Jesus is perfect, the perfect likeness to God. No difference whatsoever. I want you to listen to some very powerful passages which prove this point. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The brightness of His glory. Lord willing, this Wednesday evening, as we study through the book of Luke, we're going to study about the transfiguration And we'll talk about the glory, the brilliance, if you will, the shining of Jesus. God has that same sort of brilliance, same sort of shining. It's like you cannot even stare into the sun because of its brightness. Neither can you stand to look at the very essence of God. He is being in the brightness of His glory. And notice now how the Hebrew writer puts And the express image of His person. It's almost as if you look at that image that's on that coin and you say, Jesus looks just like the Father does. The expressed image. Philippians 2 and verse 6 puts it like this. Who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God. What is the form of God? We read in John 4 verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He is the invisible God because he is spirit. You can't see him, you can't touch him, you can't feel him. But Jesus bears that in the visible. He's talking about when Jesus was with the Father in the beginning. He's just like Him. Same form, same essence, same equality with God. Listen further, John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No distinction with regards to His Nature of divinity. He is, was with God and he was God. Listen to John 14, 9 and 10. After Jesus had said he was going to go and prepare a place for the disciples, come again, receive them. The disciples wanted to know, where are you going and how do we get there? Philip's going to have a second question. Lord, show us the Father and it will suffice us. That's sufficient. Just show us the Father. And here's the way Jesus responds to him. Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me 
the words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. He's trying to impress upon Philip, you've seen God, you've seen, or you've seen me, you've seen God. I don't know how I can stress that any more than to have read those passages and to point out who Jesus really is. When you look at Jesus bodily, that is that physical flesh that he had, it embodied deity fully. Now, that may escape some of us as we read through this, but this is such an essential point in reading the book of Colossians. Jesus was fully human. Jesus was fully God. Listen to John 1 and verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. What kind of glory? The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Yes, Colossians expresses this. Colossians 2 and verse 9, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Do you remember verse 19? I asked you earlier, what did it mean to say that fullness dwelled in Him? For in Him... His physical body, the one he walked about on this earth, dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You don't have a a partial man, partial God. You have a full man, full God embodied in the same being. As such, he was both fully human, fully divine, and became the perfect high priest. You see, the role of the high priest was to function as a go-between between God in heaven and man on earth. Who better could understand me than another human? Were Jesus only divine, we would say, He doesn't understand us. He doesn't understand our temptations. He doesn't understand our struggles, our trials. On the other side... God is able, because Jesus is deity, to understand fully. And thus, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, I think that point is fully established. Jesus is preeminent in his creation or in his composition in the fact that he's both fully God and fully man and he's in that perfect position. But now let's look at verses 16 and 17 and see how Jesus is preeminent in creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. 
Those two verses there are literally packed with meaning. Let's see if we can unravel a little bit of this to understand it. By Him all things were created. You know, sometimes when we read our Bibles, we make assumptions that are not correct. One of them is reading Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We read God and we think God the Father. That's incorrect. In fact, if you'll drop down to Genesis 1 and verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That means that there is both the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit involved in the plan of creation, but there is one of the Godhead who was the agent of it. Just like there's one of the Godhead that was the agent of salvation. Jesus Christ is the one that died on the cross for our sins. There is one of the Godhead that was mainly in the role of revelation. That's the Holy Spirit. There's one of the Godhead, the Father, whose will it was, who, so to speak, had the plan. They're each together one as God. But Jesus is that creator. What does the Bible say? Listen to John 1, verses 1 through 3 again. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. He was the sole one involved in the creation of man. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 10 through 12. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, now listen carefully, through whom also he made the worlds. It was through his Son that the worlds were made. Drop down to verses 10 through 12. And you, O Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens were the work of your hands. And he goes on to say, they're going to perish, but he will remain. Revelation 4, verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. How many passages would you need? to establish the point that Jesus was the agent of our creation. All things were created through him, and now listen carefully, for him. Sometimes we don't appreciate the grand scheme of redemption. That grand scheme of redemption began in the mind of the Father long before there was ever a world created. That's the reason why the Bible talks about Jesus being slain from the foundation of the world. All of God's plan was worked out. Creation was for Jesus. Let me illustrate this. In chapter 1 and verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, over 
all creation. The word firstborn doesn't mean he was the firstborn in the sense and time sequence. The word firstborn often in the Bible indicates the ruler who's the head of the family. Just like the oldest child gets the right of the firstborn, and because of the right of the firstborn, he is the one who leads and heads the family. That's what Jesus is with regards to creation. Now let me move quickly to the third part, and that is preeminent in the church. Let's look now to verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now when you look at that, he is the head of the body, the church. So many people today do not appreciate the role of the church. I've listened to people speak recently, both on the television media as well as some religious folks. And people have this mistaken idea that just give me Jesus, just give me his teachings, but I don't want an organized body. I don't want to have to be a part of a, an assembly, a group. I want to do it my own way. I want to just, between me and the Lord, nobody else involved. Well, first of all, you can't take Jesus without taking everything he taught. And Jesus taught that his body was the church and that you ought to be a part of it. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things. Now stop there before you read the rest of it. He gave him to be head over all things. Jesus is the head over creation. He's the head over everything that exists here in this world. And God gave him who was head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The great head of this world, the preeminent one, was given to be head over the church as well. That illustrates how impressive the body is to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, I learn how I get to be a part of that one body. He says, For as the body has is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit were we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. If you have not yet been baptized, you are not yet in that body. Now, I know a lot of people today say, oh, well, you're, you're teaching some sort of works. I would know. I'm teaching what the Bible teaches. If you've not yet been baptized, you've not yet been put in that one body. In Ephesians 4, verse 4, in a listing of seven ones, he says there is one body and one spirit and one hope. And you were called in one hope of your calling. There are not many churches in God's sight. There's one church. And either you're in it or you're not in it. 
Man may have a number of churches, but Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church individually, one. There's not a Jewish church, a Gentile church. There's not a black church, there's not a white church. There's not a rich church, there's not a poor church. There's not all these various kinds based on doctrines. In God's sight, he has only one body, the church. As head, Jesus has the authority. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. That means that you and I, as members of the body, must defer always to what our Lord says. It's not my judgment, it's not my opinion, it's not my wishes that count, nor yours. It's what God has said. And whenever you and I look at the Scriptures, we've got to make sure that for whatever we do, for however we conduct ourselves, we must have a thus saith the Lord. In Ephesians 5 and verse 23 He's going to use an illustration. We sometimes take it because we have such problems in our families. We talk about what Jesus said here. For the husband is the head of the wife. Is Christ is also the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. We often use this passage to talk about the roles of husbands and wives. And to some extent that is valuable to do so. But you drop down to verses 32 and 33 and he says, Nevertheless, I speak concerning Christ and the church. He's talking about those of us who are members of his body putting Jesus in the right place in our lives and in his body, the church. Let me try to bring all this together. The last phrase in verse 18 says that in all things, he might have the preeminence. That is, in every area, and every place in our lives, Jesus should be preeminent. That means that I have to look at the things I do, the things that I say, and do I let him guide my life? Do I let him direct my life? Now, there's some people mistakenly will say, well, I'll make Jesus the Lord. No, you don't make him the Lord. You don't make him preeminent. He is preeminent. What you and I do is recognize that and we exalt him ourselves in our own lives. Jesus is the head of the church whether we respect him or not. Jesus is preeminent over this creation whether we acknowledge it or not. But it is to our advantage we have to make sure we exalt him in our own lives. And that's the reason why I want to end with a passage found in Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 9, going through verse 11. After talking about the place that Jesus had, the sacrifice that he made, here's what Paul wrote then. Therefore God highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that which every knee should bow, 
of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You and I need to make sure that we are willing to confess what the Scriptures teach about Jesus the Christ. If we do, then you and I will be the kind of Christians we ought to be. If we exalt Him in this congregation, then we will be the congregation that the Lord wants us to be as well. Would you open your songbooks now and turn to that song of invitation? At the end of every lesson, we extend the Lord's invitation. It's not mine, nor is it the congregation. It's the Lord's invitation. But the Lord has extended to those of us who preach His Word the responsibility of telling others about that great invitation. Jesus begs, He pleads with men to come unto Him Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 and 30. He begs men to come to Him believing that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Such great confession was given by so many folks. To repent of one's sins, to, to look at the things I've done wrong and say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. I am determined to change my life. And then to be baptized, put us in that one body. And with that, we get the remission of our sins, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. I'm sure that we have folks here who need to obey the gospel. If you do, we want to urge you to do that. If you say, well, I don't know if I know enough, we'll take time to study with you. If you are a Christian and you look at your life and you recognize I've got problems and I need the Lord's help, and I need the Lord's forgiveness. We'll assist you with that as well. If you need to respond, would you come as we stand and sing?